The audio quality in this episode of Winfield is very quiet, and we would like to apologize for that. We're aware of the issue, and we're working for future episodes to fix the problem. You'll still be able to hear Peyton very clearly, and we hope you still enjoy this episode. Greetings, friends. My name is Carson Daniel, and I'm the coordinator of church planning at Asbury Theological Seminary. This is episode four of season two, Ancient Micro with Peyton Jones. We welcome Peyton back on the podcast to tell us what trends he is seeing in the church right now. Winfield and Peyton continue to explore how the past can speak to us today. Grab your favorite beverage and get ready to listen. You are listening to Church Planning Conversations with Dr. Winfield Bevins. Right. Thanks so much for joining us for today's Church Planning Conversations podcast. And again, I'm excited to have my good friend Peyton Jones with us, who Peyton's an author, kind of a church planning leader. He's, he's planted in the UK, across the US, and he's just doing some really exciting work in the area of church planning. He's considered a, he's worked with Exponential and, and has founded a church planning, New Breed Church Planning Movement. And so, Peyton, it's great to have you with us today. How's it going? Oh, it's going great, man. Good to be back. Yeah, it's great to have you back with us. Today, what I want to do is kind of just access kind of your experience, what you're seeing on the ground in the area of like, what's what's next? What's the future of church planning? And over the last, literally since the last decade, a lot of us have been saying, hey, it's it's the end of Christendom. Things are changing. You know, new forms and models of church are emerging. But really, the pandemic has accelerated um, these changes and has just created just unbelievable fault lines. And in many ways, we live in a different world than we did even two years ago. And so what I want to do is, you know, I'm, I'm wanting to bend the ear of leaders like yourself to say, what, what are the trends? What are signposts? Um, you know, there's always a danger in futuring and saying, okay, this is what exact, you know, the future is going to look like because we're, we're living in it, right? Um, I know that the old GPSs no longer work. But what I want to, what I kind of want to explore in this podcast is what are some things that's emerging that maybe isn't like predictive saying, okay, this is exactly yeah. what the future of the church is going to look like. But I'd love to just kind of wrap out for a few minutes on like, what are some trends? What are some things you're seeing that will help yeah. you know, give them some handles as they kind of look to the future? It's so funny you say that because during the pandemic, I remember uh, at that time I was working with Exponential and I was interviewing nonstop people like Michael Frost and Hugh Halter and Alan Hirsch and, you know, just talking to them. All of them basically said, like Hugh Halter said, everything I've written so far prepped the church for this moment. Alan said, I have writer's block. And I just, I remember at the time, like I had just written a book in 2017 few years before that was, I felt almost prophetic because I had asked the question, what if the church is shut down overnight and you couldn't, you couldn't literally meet on a Sunday, (laughs) what would it look like? And how would you, how would you, uh, because uh, how would you function? Because one of the things I train planners to do is I say, look, uh, tell me how you're going to plan a church. The only rules you can't start your Sunday morning service because so many planners default 
to starting a Sunday worship service. And I was like, okay, once you can crack the nut of what your church plant looks like minus a Sunday, you've cracked the nut of missional engagement. And so I wrote this book called Reaching the Unreached, Becoming Raiders of the Lost Art. The lost art was actually ministry in public space. And like I said, I I, I had to sit back and think, I wrote this book. Um, I don't think it was God's one message to the church by any means or stretch, um, because I believe if God is saying something to one person, he's probably saying it to a bunch of people. And I think that that book, though, just really called out, like, how do we do uh, the house to house seems to be, you know, within the missional community, something we've talked about, but we haven't mastered uh, public space like the apostles did. How do we do temple courts? And so to me, that's one of the major trends. Well, everybody overnight shifted to, um, you know, video and the quick refrain became a celebration of the values of more eyeballs looking, more people watching us and more money. Well, of course, that was a, a flash in the pan that ended. And what we were left with afterwards was a decline. And we have not recovered. Uh, in the same way that society's not recovered from the, the pandemic, the church has far from recovered from the pandemic. And so what I think there were some deeper questions that we were meant to be asking, you know, kind of like when Jesus uh, gets back in the boat with the disciples after the feeding of the 5,000 and they say, oh, is he mad at us because we didn't bring bread? And Jesus says, hey, weren't you just with me when we fed the 5,000? How is it that you're asking this question. You're asking the wrong question. And then what happens is it says, for they did not learn the lesson of the loaves. Now, I always think back to that because as a preacher, right, you're always looking, what's the lesson in this miracle? What was the lesson in that? You know, that's what you're trying to teach people. But there was a lesson in the loaves, right? Like there's something that we were meant to learn. And what I think it was, was we were being forced to get out there. We were being forced. And what Alan Hurst said was for every 100 churches that shut their doors, a thousand small groups open. And so, uh, and, and what we found was small groups went nuts, right? Churches shut. And, and that, that makes people nervous because that's saying, I'm not in the center, you're not in the center. Um, leadership is maybe a little bit um, overblown and maybe a little, you know, a little bit overrated. Because what happened was the people of God got activated. When the people of God got activated, uh, that's when you see Acts 2.42 becoming church plants in Antioch, where there's no visible leadership. And you're like, okay, people that are discipled really well, when you shut things down or you persecute, if they've been discipled really well, like in Acts 2.42, it leads to Antioch. And that's that's what I think happened. And I actually think some of the people not coming back is not all oh, shame on you, bad boy. Why aren't you going to church? You know, you need church, right? I believe many people that during the pandemic discovered what it was to have their own gifts awoken, to have their own gifts used in small groups. I feel they're saying, you know what, for the first time, maybe I'm experiencing church like I never have. And that's why I'm not coming back. That's a little controversial. <laughs> Yeah, I think one of the things that, again, with, again, there's, it, it was kind of like, I, I have called it the great undoing. Like, it, it really, 
pulled at the fraying edges of an already kind of, you know, again, it was the end of Christendom. I, th- I think it was the final nail in the coffin yeah. for the way the church has been done. And again, back to, you know, stuff in your book, calling back to a rediscovery. And for like the mega church models, for churches that didn't do discipleship, that for them, um, their only mode of discipleship was large corporate gathering preaching yeah. or Sunday school. You couldn't do that. So imagine tens of millions of people in the U.S. and around the world are no longer able to gather in large gatherings. Some churches were able to pivot. Some yeah. members of the body, I think it probably flushed. And again, we don't know the numbers. I don't know how many millions of people that were nominal Christian or maybe kind of went to church occasionally. I, we just don't even know the numbers because we're still yeah. living in that space. I wonder how many of those people have just left the church. But at the same time, as you said, how many people's faith was brought alive? How many gifts were activated? How many people were equipped? And one of the burdens that I've really had in the midst of this, I did a lot early in the pandemic because I've done a lot of writing around family discipleship stuff, like kind of mm-hmm. forming disciples in the home. Yeah. Um, I think churches have had to kind of pivot to create tools. And again, back to, you know, things like, again, contemporary contextual liturgies for the home. How do we gather uh, on video, but also give resources and tools for people in their homes to do discipleship, neighborhood-based groups? So in the midst of all this, there have been some exciting kind of new things emerging. What, what are some other things maybe you're seeing? What's another kind of thing that's kind of surfaced? Yeah, I think um, <clears throat> one of the things that uh, is really happening is microchurches along that line has become very much a trend. And again, uh, a microchurch, for those that, that may not be familiar with the term, some people mistakenly think microchurch is a model, and it's not. It's actually a function. Um, you could be the church you're at now with no structural or institutional changes, and yet you can say, hey, we're going to do some microchurch practice here because it is an activity, it's a practice. So what a microchurch is, is a banding together of believers uh, in the way you would have an affinity group, like maybe a hobby or a reading group or whatever, but it's based on a specific mission. The, the small group meets for the purpose of going on mission to pick a fight with a certain area, right? Like maybe we're gonna go after homelessness or maybe we're gonna, um, you know, Brian Sanders' book, um, Underground, really um, deals with this. He's got another little book called What is a Microchurch? And, and, and so, you know, that's something everyone can do. And there's definitely been a trend in that, particularly within the realm of church planting. And I think this is why, um, in the same way that the youth of, you know, um, the millennials who get a lot of hate, and I think wrongfully, um, you know, as being wimps, as being not, because they have a different value set. Their value set is, I don't want a big house. I don't want to set up my career going after this, you know, traditional career. Um, And you you look back and you go, well, they did watch the Twin Towers fall. They did watch their parents lose their jobs. They did watch 
uh, you know, their parents lose their homes, everything they worked hard for. Uh, many of them, then their marriages broke up, uh, they, you know, their parents' marriages. So all these things that for us in our generation were kind of solid bedrocks. I mean, I came from a broken home, but you know what I mean? In society at large, you at least looked at that and thought, that's a good thing, right? That's something I wish I had that. But this generation had it all pulled out from under them. And so then they went into the tiny homes. They went into that, I'm not gonna, you know, I'm gonna travel the world and have an online job. They have a different value set. Well, that generation, I believe, is doing the same thing with the church, where they're saying, I don't want all this overhead. I don't want all this big baggage. I just want it to be about God and people. And micro church for this church planning generation seems to take the burden of all the trappings away. It just keeps it about God, about people, about the gospel, and about mission. And it values the activation of every believer's gift um, on mission together. And that's something that is a real value um, that I, I believe, as you mentioned about rediscovering, I believe this generation, just like the hippie movement, rediscovered some things about first century Christianity. I believe God's using the millennial generation to rediscover some kingdom values that my generation forgot. Yeah, I think one of the things in, uh, you know, we might get a little controversial here. You know, you, you might even have pushback. I don't think it will, but, um, you know, it's kind of like you remember two, you know, was it two decades ago? Oh my gosh. Remember the emerging church? Yeah. You know, the whole emerging church stuff. That was, yeah. Actually, that was what? early 2000s, late 1990s. I mean, I'm yeah. eating, dating ourselves here. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But it was almost like a move to, hey, and I, I think the instinct was right because they were pushing against kind of the, the, you know, the a lot of the dysfunctions of kind of, you know, the pragmatism of kind of modern Christianity, uh, especially in North America and places like that, to almost rediscover the church um, but it was almost like it wasn't a rediscovery as much as like reinventing the church. Yes. Yeah. And there's a tremendous danger in that. And I think that would be my only concern. Yeah. With same. Where we are. Yeah. And I think that's where um, I'm all for micro, I'm all for, you know, disciple making movements, all of these things. But it has to be a rediscovery of that's rooted in authentic Christianity and a rediscovery of some of the historic formational foundations of Christianity. Yeah. Speak to that for a sec. Yeah. I'm so glad you brought that up because I, I was not comfortable with the, the emergent movement. I, I was a young minister and I remember at the time being like, I mean, I ended up in 1999 going to Dr. Martin Lloyd Jones's church and serving there as the evangelist and being in you know a legacy church rich in tradition and history and valuing that but i, I you know i think w w to me it's always going to come back to who jesus is and the church and this is this is why i'm saying once you understand that micro church is not a type of church it's not a type of church i think it gets you know you can be in a traditional Presbyterian, Anglican, Baptist, you know, whatever you are, and still join in on this practice, then it's not a, hey, our way's better. Because each generation wants to say, 
its way is better than the old way. And even if they're rediscovering something, yeah. uh, oftentimes because they don't understand church history, they yeah. don't know that, look, you're rediscovering something that someone 800 years ago tapped into or 1400, you're not the first. Like Ecclesiastes says, there's nothing new under the sun. You're, you're rediscovering something. But for me, I've, I've been thinking a lot about this because I listened to the, the rise and fall of Mars Hill um, and I, and I, and I was really fascinated when he was talking to some of the leaders back then, you know, with, uh, he was talking about this motley crew of people that came together, you know, you've got Dan Kimball, Jim Putman, um, you know, Shane Claiborne, you've got all these, you know, even Mark Driscoll, you know, they're this, I mean, you could not find a more motley crew of people that had nothing in common except for Jesus. And when you looked at it, you know, they, they pointed out, they said, you know, had no theological moorings, which once that started to introduce, it started to blow apart. But here's my thing. Part of Christ's functionality, his fivefold function of his ministry was teacher. You have to have that. Every movement needs to have that prophetic function of the spirit. It needs to have a missiological function. It needs to have a, a gospel function, the evangelist, and it needs to have a shepherd function. And so for me, as I'm looking at any movement, any church, any plant, to me, that's gotta be our guardrails that keep us from going off in one direction. That as soon as someone starts getting really strong on this prophetic, you know, where, and, and to get, um, uh, you know, controversial some more. I see your controversy and I raise it, uh, Tim. Uh, you know, you've got like, you know, maybe some of the extremes of the Pentecostal charismatic movement. I, I love Pentecostal and charismatic yeah. uh, people. Um, and so I don't mean that as a slight, but there are times where you think, you know, Pentecostal charismatic movement, you need a teacher here to say, you know, the intention is right, but but the, the actually we're, we're a bit off here based on scripture. These are moorings. These are meant like if you think of it as like five anchors, they keep you centered between these five anchors. That's what Jesus did. He was centered. And so he, he wasn't all word, right? That, that saying, if you're all word, um, you dry up. If you're all spirit, you blow up. But if you're good mix, you grow up. And so uh, there's this balance. And that's what those five, it's meant to have us all grow up into the maturity and the, the fullness of the measure of Christ, that we fill the Jesus-shaped hole in the world through these five functions. And I guess what I'm looking at with this is in the same way, um, you know, if, if you have somebody who's all teacher, right, and they can exposit all this, um, they need a charismatic Pentecostal come along and say, hey, that was great. You could really dissect the meaning of that really well. Are we ever going to do that stuff? Yeah. Because I believe God's calling us into deeper, deeper levels of faith and trust to actually step out and believe that God might heal this person or do this thing. And so what, what I'm looking at as far as, and I, and I do think this is one of the trends we're going to start seeing is yeah. people are hungering for all five of the functions of Jesus, and they don't want to go to a church and pick and choose between them. So one of the things I really outline in church plantology, all the way from your burden, is your burden apostolic, prophetic, evangelistic, uh, shepherd, or teacher in your church plant, to 
What is your ser- is your service or your liturgy? Is it the five functions of Jesus? Is your uh, staffing? Is it the five functions of Jesus? Is your um, uh, is is your you know by staffing? I I don't mean like a full time nine to five staff. I mean is your is your ministry is the way it's functioning division of labor between your believers? Are you are you putting the shepherds on counseling and discipleship? Um, is that their focus? Is the um, you know, everybody's got this, this focus and function. So mm, yeah. I know that's, that's a mouthful, but, um, but that's a trend I really see is going to start emerging in future. Yeah. I think, um, you know, to one, you know, it's interesting, I think, especially as you have kind of the collapse of kind of traditional, you know, again, we're living in kind of an emerging post-denominational context, you know, there's good, bad with, with all of this, but um, one of the things that I think the Pentecostal charismatic movement, you know, it influenced the main ones, you know, in the 70s, 80s, 90s. And I think what I'm seeing through global church planning movements and in the micro church planning movement is this really just this openness to the person and work of the Holy Spirit without all the crazy emphasis on the hyper signs and wonders and yeah. kind of the weird stuff. It's more of like, yeah. A movement. When you look and study movements, you see the body of Christ empowered, filled, and empowered, and released in the power of the Spirit. Yeah. To do the work of ministry, the critique of Pentecostal charismatic movements that I would have is it becomes insular when it's about my gifts and kind of how I yes. feel and all of these things. Where in movements, the Spirit drives us outward to look yes. outside of herself. And I think that's um, that's one of the exciting things that I'm seeing as I interview, talk with leaders, pray with leaders. This isn't just mm. like trying, you know, sterilely dissecting like under a microscope. When you talk with a movement leader from Africa, Latin America, hmm. Asia, they're just on fire with the Holy Spirit. Yes. They pray, yes. they fast, they love Jesus. Yeah. <laughs> you know, you don't yeah. get to twist their arm. And they're doing what they're doing for the love of the kingdom and for the love of God. Yes. And that's exciting and that's contagious. And that gives me hope for the future of the church. Amen. You know, it's funny you mentioned that because in the book, I, I just profile briefly. Um, there's a little bit of an enigmatic figure in, in church history in the last, you know, hundred years um, by the name of Lonnie Frisbee. And you can, yeah. you can trace Lonnie. He was kind of at the, very dawn of the Jesus movement yeah. and up in Haight-Ashbury in San Francisco where it actually started. Yeah. And uh, and he came down south to Costa Mesa and he links up with a teacher named Chuck Smith. And that starts Calvary Chapel. And then he moves over uh, to a, a little um, uh, charismatic, real small fellowship and links up with a guy named uh, King Gullickson and then... Uh, uh, John Wimber, and that becomes, um, you know, the vineyard. And then he moves to Florida and he joins another movement, which is a shepherding, just a little, you know, Bible study with uh, an emphasis on discipleship. And there's this discipleship movement that springs up. And what I what I kind of pull out is there's certain apostolic uh, people who 
they're just such catalysts, right? Um, Wesley surely would have been one of those guys. And and again, this is why I'm saying like it's important to rediscover everything we've talked about. That's the key to the future is actually from the past, right? It's just it's rediscovering and harnessing what was hardwired into the DNA of the church at the beginning. It's 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 kind of like that uh, scene in the Matrix where um, they say, "What's happening?" when he's kicking butt in the subway. And they say he's beginning to believe. Believe what? Believe who he really is. That in that scene in the Matrix, Neo kind of, oh, I, I realize when the when the church rediscovers its five functions of Jesus, it'll start kicking butt in the subway, just like Neo did. And the the kind of interesting thing that I'm finding is with um, you know, I kind of put this whole formula together, just, you know, it's about a page and a half, maybe two pages. And I say, when Lonnie Frisbee, when you put an apostolic catalyst with a teacher, a teaching movement started. When you put an apostolic catalyst with a prophetic leader, uh, you know, the a Pentecostal charismatic movement started. When you put him with um, a shepherd, a discipleship movement started. Lonnie Frisbee is this one guy in the last hundred years, because he was apostolic, you just put him with these different combinations, thousands of people catalyzed because the apostolic role is this catalytic function that Jesus had to mobilize 12 out to change the world. And if that's just one, I mean, there are just, you know, combinations and teams is, is huge to this book. People learning to value that. It's like you said, it's not about my gift. It's about our gift. So for me saying I'm apostolic is not, I mean, Alani Frisbee, I'm not, I'm not going to go make these huge splashes, but, but here's the thing. Um, what I'm actually confessing is four blind spots, four areas that I'm weak in, that I don't have it all figured out. And because of that, I need these other functions of Jesus. And I really think that leaders are beginning to understand that it's not weakness to confess, kind of like when they asked John the Baptist, are you the Christ? I love that it says, he, conf- he did not deny, but confessed. No, I'm not he. <laughs> you know, He confessed. Uh, I believe many leaders right now are beginning to confess. I'm not the Christ. I'm not the Jesus. I don't have all five of these. And no, I'm not the guy you ought to be looking at. I'm just this guy pointing the way to what you ought to be looking at. And I think for us as leaders, that team leadership, again, tells us I don't have to be everything. I don't have to have every gift. I don't have to do everything. And really, my role is to catalyze the believers, to equip the saints. That was the key to those whole five function things, was to equip the saints to do this work. And I think we're going to see more emphasis on that in future. The The pandemic did it. It, it, it kind of it started that for us. People getting a taste. Whoa, when I'm in small groups, I use my gifts. This is cool. That's great. Um, Peyton, as we as we close today, how can people connect with you? Uh, appreciate your work and your heart to just come alongside church planning leaders. How can people kind of find out more about the work you're doing and connect with you? Yeah, right now, um, everything I do goes through newbreedtraining.com. So if you want to find out more about plantology, you can go there. If you uh, want to find other writers and, and people uh, from the same ilk, uh, you can you can go on there and find blogs and what have you. And then, um, yeah, you can email me at uh, newbreedcp, that's for church planning, newbreedcp at gmail.com. That's great. Peyton, hey, thanks so much for joining us today. Bless you and the work that you're doing. Thanks, brother. Good to be here. 
Thank you for listening to the Church Planning Conversations podcast. We hope you enjoyed this episode. Our next episode, episode five, features Dr. Eliseo Mejia. Eliseo is a visionary leader and church planner and a dear friend and mentor of Dr. Winfield Bevins. Eliseo joins Winfield as they discuss planting together, crying together, and facing some of the struggles that pastors and church planners face in today's time. We hope you'll join us in early March for that episode. And before you go, I'd like to invite you to review the Church Planning Conversations podcast on Apple and on Spotify. Reviewing the podcast helps other pastors and church planners find this podcast and be encouraged. God bless you, and we'll see you on episode five.